Let's pray. Father, open my mouth that I might speak in a way that makes it easy and clear for people to hear what you have to say to them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a sermon about the Holy Family. Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham, had been given a word from God. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. That's in Genesis 15.1. God had said to Abraham, your descendants will be a great nation and possess this land. In Genesis 15.6, we read that Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. And so here we say, here is a man reckoned righteous by God, and his family is going to be blessed and be a blessing. Is this the holy family? Abraham's son Isaac had heard God's word too, and in Genesis 26:24 we read that God said to him, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you and will bless you. Israel's son, in turn, Jacob, sorry, Isaac's son, in turn, Jacob, had had his own divine encounter in Genesis 28. And in 13, we read that God said to Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and your offspring. And so here we are now with Jacob's offspring, those who are said to be those through whom the earth will be blessed. We're here with them as they sell their brother into slavery. This is a strange kind of holy family. A strange choice of family for God to make as the object of his blessing and as the source and model of blessing for others. For here we meet them on this fateful day for their family, a day that would change everything, a day that would shape decades to come. We know those terrible days that change everything. You get up in the morning, you go out for a run, and then by the next day you're wearing a moon boot. That's a minor example. There are days that shape decades, though, September 11, 2001, or the day a new respiratory illness emerged in Wuhan. These days linger. They shape the world. But they also shape the lives of families. There are days for families. Perhaps you know a terrible day that changed everything for you and your family. The story of Joseph is the story of Good in spite of evil. It's the story of life out of death. It's the story of reunion and reconciliation. But this story begins on this day, this evil day, this day of apparent death and this day of alienation. And it infects this holy family. I want to look at this day, what it was like from the perspective of Reuben, Judah, Jacob, and Joseph, for people who were there, in some way affected by 
this day, these events. For Reuben, as a start, this was a day of failure. It seemed like uh, neither Jacob nor Joseph suspect how deep the brother's anger at Joseph is. Last week we saw the, the roots of that anger. Joseph's bad report against some of his brothers. Uh, Jacob's favouritism of uh, Joseph. And especially this gift of the, the coat with long sleeves that so grated his brothers. But to top it all off, we had Joseph's dreams, which he reported and which seemed to elevate him over his brothers. And so the brothers, as it turns out, are underneath any you know, apparent placidity, are seething. And they're ready to take their chance to deal with Joseph. Joseph went after his brothers. He found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance. And before he came near, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into the one of the pits and we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him and we shall see what becomes of his dreams. So the brothers are taking up the role of Cain. Cain who killed his brother Abel in the open field out of envy and resentment. But Joseph, unlike Abel, has a protector, Reuben, the eldest of the brothers. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him, that is Joseph, out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him so that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. Why Reuben did this, we're not told, but he does succeed in holding back the brothers from murder. And yet his plan to rescue Joseph fails. Because when he comes to perform the rescue in verse 29, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where can I turn? The sense of absolute Failure and shattering dejection is so strong there. Reuben's plan has failed, and it's failed because of Judah. So let's turn now to our second character, Judah. For Judah, this day was a day of profit. Because when a caravan of Ishmaelites appear, Judah sees new possibilities in the situation. There they are, coming from Gilead with their camels, carrying gum and balm and resin on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. Judah's plan has two selling points. One, it's more profitable than murder. And two, it's more honourable than murder. After all, says Judah nobly, he is our brother, our own flesh. What a guy. Just the kind of brother you need, you know, ready to sell you into slavery instead of killing you. Fantastic. In reality, God is Joseph's saviour in this situation. It is God who sends the caravan of Ishmaelites over the horizon at just the right time to, to spark Judah's desire for money and his persuasive tongue. And so Joseph is carried away with the Ishmaelites according to God's plan, to a harder thing 
and swanning around in his coat with long sleeves, but a better thing in the end. What about Jacob? If, if Reuben has had failure, Judah's had profit, what's Jacob had? Jacob has had devastation this day. His own sons present to him their confected evidence, the bloodied robe. This we have found. See now whether it is your son's robe or not. He recognised it and said, It is my son's robe. A wild animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Jacob draws the conclusion that the brother's deceit suggests and falls into despair. And Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and all his daughters sought to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father bewailed him. Sheol is the place of the dead, and that's where Jacob wants to be. Life has become unbearable. Things were troubled enough before in this family, and now with this great crime, this great day of momentous significance, guilt and secrets and alienation, they come to dwell long term with these people. Years later, when the sons themselves have been imprisoned in Egypt and told to produce Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, they say, alas, we are paying the penalty for what we did to our brother. We saw his anguish when he pleaded with us, but we would not listen. For Joseph, then, our last of four characters, this is a day of anguish. He's been set upon by his own brothers like the victim of bandits. He's been thrown down a cistern, then hauled up and sold as a slave by his own brothers. No more coat with long sleeves. No more life as his father's beloved son in his father's house. Now he's property, a tradable commodity in a far foreign land, a mere teen, a lone, vulnerable castaway. How is Joseph going to respond? How would you respond at being so wronged, at being brought so low? Anger at those who had done this to you, at at God for letting it happen? Despair that I've lost everything so much and what have I got to look forward to? Nothing good. Or would there be some kind of way that there could be resilience or hope or adaptation to circumstances. You know, if if fate is mindless and meaningless, if what happens just happens and there's no rhyme or reason to it, then being so wronged and losing so much, that might embitter you to the core. But if life's painful mystery might conceal the hand and workings of God... If there is a word and a promise from God that your family carries and that you can believe, then perhaps you can escape bitterness and keep hope alive. The writer to the Hebrews says to Christians, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. When hardship comes along, don't think this is random, absurd, ridiculous, meaningless. 
think discipline. Difficult, but a point where I can learn and be changed for good. We also have a word and a promise from God that we can believe even as life is tough and disappointing and frankly overwhelming. God destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ. God destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ. And that's Ephesians 1.5 and Romans 8.28, all things work together for good for those who love God. All things work together for good for those who love God. These are words we can put in our hearts ahead of time and do our best to hold on to in the midst of the storm. Days of anguish may come upon you. It may feel like your whole life is ruined or at least some part of it is made hard and painful, perhaps forever. It may be unfair, it may be unexpected, it may be overwhelming and days like that, they don't just fade away. They do bring lasting challenges. But we will see as we journey with Joseph that he discovered that the Lord was with him in Egypt. And the Lord will walk with you too in your anguish and overturned life. Let's end by thinking about the holy family where we started. Jacob, the father deceived by his sons, resentful as they were over the favouritism he showed to Joseph, paralysed by grief. Reuben, the older brother who failed to protect his younger brother Joseph and joined the conspiracy of those who covered it up. Judah, the natural leader, the one whose plan did come off, the plan to get rid of Joseph and make a tidy sum as well. These are God's chosen ones. This family is to be the model and channel of God's blessing to all. Well, this is the material God has to work with. He has fallen humanity. Weak, foolish, inadequate, greedy and envious, murderous and guilty. This is who we are as human beings. It is the glory of God that he can work with such material. He can rescue Joseph from his brothers. He can, as we shall see, reconcile Joseph to his brothers and restore him to his father. God can bring salvation. And likewise with us. Ephesians 2.4 How has God dealt with us? But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. If there is to be salvation, God himself has to work it. And so he did work it in Christ, the one, the one holy human being. Salvation is not our achievement, it is God's achievement. When we were dead through our trespasses, God made us alive. This is why there is hope for Jacob, there is hope for Reuben, there is hope for Judah, there is hope for all those brothers, and there's hope for you and I, because it is by grace 
you have been saved. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Good can come out of evil. Life can come out of death. Reconciliation can come out of alienation. It is the gift of God. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you for your ability to work with fallen humanity as material. Though we may be weak, foolish, inadequate, greedy, envious, murderous, guilty as Jacob's family was, yet you can rescue Joseph. You can bring salvation. You can raise the dead. You can exercise your grace to reconcile us to you and us to one another, to preserve our lives to bring us home to you. We praise you for that. Lord, in the meantime, as we journey through this life with its various episodes of guilt or injustice and hardship, help us to take the right attitude, to repent of our sin, to endure hardship as discipline to learn to live by faith in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.